Good morning, New Life Church. My name is Beck, and I'm part of the Cooley family here at New Life. And isn't it winter? Ah, oh, the earlier service, I was rugged up in a few layers and a scarf. It's that kind of weather that's perfect for staying indoors and playing board games. And I love a good board game or a card game. Anything at all, uh, except if it involves spelling. Don't give me Scrabble. Don't give me bananas. I don't want to play those. Anything else, I'm in. But what fascinates me about board games is everyone has the house rules. So you can go to one household and play a game of Uno. Are you allowed to play a draw two on a draw two? Yes. <laughs> How many times are you allowed to do this? Can you end up with someone who's drawing up 10, 12 cards? <laughs> Ruthless playing over here. How about in Monopoly? Can you borrow from the bank? No. <laughs> Can you sell back to the bank a mortgage property for the full price or is it at half price? Everyone has these family rules that they've had to establish to create games that don't end up in upturned tables. There's an even playing ground. Everyone knows what the ground rules are and that's what we're sticking to. But even further than this, we have our house rules in our families. I remember as a kid, one of our house rules was one teaspoon of Milo. That was, that was the limit. That was all we could have. And can I tell you, the architectural magnificent scoops that we managed to produce out of these Milo tins, they, I reckon they were a good five centimetres high at least. And, but we were in one teaspoon. We were in it. So imagine my amazement when I've gone to a friend's house and you can have more than one teaspoon. <gasps> the shock, the awe, the, my mind was blown. And as we grow up, as we have our own families, we start to develop our own house rules. We sort out what we value most. We sort out how we want to create this environment where the people within that house can grow and live exactly who they are meant to be in this safe zone, knowing that they are loved and cared for, and they are given the freedom to do this. So as we come to this passage today, which is really instructional, I want us to hear the heart of God, his heart for his family, his heart that he loves you, you are considered his child, and that he wants to recreate this safe space of love amongst his people. Before we do that, before we get into the scripture, let's pray. Thank you, God, that you are a loving God. Thank you that you see each and every one of us, your children. Thank you that you want to rescue us, that you want to save us from our past hurts, our past sins, our past entanglements, and that you want to see us in freedom and in truth. Thank you so much, God, that you first loved us. And we pray that we hear your heart this morning as we read scripture. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so let's get into it. Today we're going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, and going straight through to chapter 5, verse 5. It's a big one. <clears throat> Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. 
Those who have been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as a dearly loved child, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because they are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God, Christ and of God. Woo, so who's excited to be at church this morning? (laughs) All right, let's start at the beginning. Therefore... And it is great that we've been walking through this Ephesians series because we already know the therefore that this is referring to. Scott has explained the situation that we're in Ephesians, in Ephesus, which was a port city that indulged in all aspects of life. It had a multitude of different cultures and customs coming in with their own gods, with their own practices, their own ways to think and how to do life. And it also was a hub of commerce, so it attracted people who were looking for power and wealth. And in this context, a church has grown up, and Paul is writing to them to encourage them and remind them of all they have been taught and all they have known themselves. That is, that they were brought from death to life, from slavery to freedom, in the grace and the power of God through the saving act of Jesus in his death and resurrection and by the power of the Holy Spirit. They are now alive, free, able to no longer live conformed to the chains of their sin and their past, but in the love and the freedom and the grace of God. As such, as part of this family of God, we're also children and heirs of God, All of that he has for us is ours. And we are to be built as a family in unity. And all of us know Christ as our Lord and Father, but all of us have our different giftings, our different abilities, our different purposes, but we all share the same Holy Spirit DNA that we can share together in unity. And this is where we pick up from. We have been saved into freedom because of the love and the gift of God. We have been given a new life because of the love and the gift of God. But then what does this new life look like? What are the family rules? Now, freedom and rules might sound like a contradiction, but it's not. It's coming from, say you've broken your leg 
And instead of walking around the rest of your life on that broken leg, because I'm free to live like this, it's a father who's able to heal, restore, and give life. Say, let me take that leg. Let me heal it. And let me see you walk in the fullness of that. And I am blown away that God not only just sent his son on earth to save us, but he still continues to be interested in how we live life, in how we treat each other, how we look on the inside. So let's take the first verse, for example. We'll see this pattern that Paul gives us. He will show us the vice. So in this case, we have that next slide. Then it will be falsehood. We're then given the alternative, this new life, truth. The amazing thing, though, is we're given the why. We're given the why because we are all members of one body. We are all part of the same family. And when we deceive and lie or mislead a brother or sister, we are also hurting ourselves because we are part of the same body. Ask anyone who's had a neurological problem what it's like to live in a body that isn't giving you accurate feedback, that isn't telling you the truth of the situation. It's hard. Oh, it's beyond hard. Falsehood for truth. And if we are meant to be living for truth in this body, in this family, we need to take off our masks we're not to live in a church of facades, of niceties, where we have polite conversations and we all are proper and polite, but we're supposed to speak with honesty and truth. We're supposed to be open to each other, where we're struggling and where we can encourage each other. Falsehood for truth. This isn't always fun. It's definitely not always comfortable. But as we stand together as the body, we can be strengthened in God with each other and God can intercede in these moments. Sometimes, though, we get angry about it. Sometimes someone has either done it without tact and sometimes it's just hit that part of our soul that we've wanted to keep to ourselves. But here in verse 26, we can see that anger itself is not the vice. Anger is an emotion. It is neither good nor bad. It's the emotion that's letting us know that someone's just needling us in the wrong spot. It's letting us know that we're feeling threatened or feeling like there's something wrong here and I want to do something about it. So Paul explains in verse 26, it's not your anger, but do not sin in your anger. Emotions are okay, but what you do with those emotions, that's the point. Are you one to let your emotions rule you? Let me put it another way. Are your emotions your highest prior, uh, authority? I did that because I was mad. I couldn't help myself. In your anger, do not sin. God does not ask us to ignore our emotions, but he does ask his children not to be mastered or ruled by them. And Paul gives us a handy timeline that we can deal with this. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. This gives us enough time to pull back, pause, reflect, acknowledge, 
that we're feeling something and figure out why we're feeling the way we are. But it also asks for an end point where we have to deal with what we're feeling with. Do we need to forgive? Do we need further discussion? Do we need to pray? Do we need to do something? Whatever it may be. And why? We come back to the why. Why is this so important to the body, to our own souls? So the devil does not have a foothold. If the Holy Spirit is growing us to be more of a family of God, growing us in unity, growing us to be who we're truly created to be, we need to live in this freedom where the devil desires disunity, for broken to stay broke, for captivity, not freedom, for anger and unforgiveness to turn into resentment and bitterness and a cold, hard heart. There is a spiritual side. We are both physical and spiritual beings. And while we were dead in our sin, we were right where the devil wanted us, believing that we were our own gods, we were our highest authority, unaware that we were a slave to sin, unable to save ourselves and confined to just this flesh. So we see the contrast. The old self, dead to sin, which played into the devil's hands, to keep us disconnected from God, disconnected from each other, and even disconnected with our own hearts. And the new self, alive in Jesus Christ, giving the Holy Spirit freedom to live through us and in us, in freedom, hope, and truth. The old self felt justified in stealing because I'm owed something, because I wanted that. But the new self is about other. It's looking for a way to share with others in need. The old self said anything they wanted to. But the new self wants to encourage and build others up. We are not to live in harbour or harbour. Bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, malice, sexual immorality or greed. No obscenity, foolish talk or coarse language. All of these can be detrimental to our relationship with God, our relationship with others and to our own souls because they are the things that can feed into the old self and be more about what I want, how I feel, how I will act, placing myself as the highest authority, placing my emotions above everything else and placing my inconsistent whims above others rather than placing God as the centre of my life. We are to live by the strength of the Holy Spirit. We are to be a people who are kind and compassionate to each other and forgive each other. We should be a people who are giving thanks for the big things and the little things, living a life that has God as the ultimate authority and looks to benefit others, build others up, encourage and lovingly challenge each other as our hearts are being made new. This text is instructional, but it comes from a real love for relationships, God for his children and amongst those children. God cares about how we live, how we speak, what we do and why we do it. He's a relational God. And we read from 5, 1 to 2, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. 
God has brought us in. We are adopted into his family. And just as a little child imitates the parent, we are to imitate God. As dearly loved children, we were first loved. And a real love that looked at you and said, Beloved. I know not all of us have had experience as a dearly loved child. But can I tell you, God loves you in a real healthy way. In a love that seeks you out and sees you. And this isn't something that just Paul thought up on a whim. He didn't think it was catchy. But he was able to appoint to a direct event and say, here is God's love. Here is the length God has gone because he loves you. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. God came down and became a man, knew what would happen to him, that he would be betrayed, he would be condemned to death on a cross, and after being whipped, mocked and laughed at, Jesus went to the cross and took all my sin, took all of my shame, took everything I have done and everything I will do and dealt with it there and then because of love. It was his love towards the Father in heaven and towards us that kept him on that cross. It wasn't the nails. He was able to save himself, but he wanted to save me. He wanted to save you. And in his love, he stayed on that cross and made it possible for anyone who would believe that Jesus is their saviour. Jesus took their sin, can join this beautiful family of God and know this love of God that changes lives. And doesn't that just blow you away? We're not talking about the instructions or the rules that have been created for some random reason or on a whim. It's not a do as I tell you, not as I do. These instructions have been demonstrated to us. They are do as I have done. And as Jesus stayed on the cross, he also demonstrated sacrifice. He placed God the Father above his own human desires. He put God the Father as the highest authority in this situation and it was called a fragrant offering. Jesus has demonstrated everything. Jesus has shown us love by going to the absolute extremes to create a way for us to become part of the family of God. Not so I'm still a slave to my old life, to my own flesh, to my own sins, but so I can break free of that cage and live as a dearly loved child in God. Jesus has shown us what that life looks like and placed God above all situations, all thoughts and emotions. Jesus still felt, he still experienced, and he still expressed them. But the love in his heart for us and his relationship with God the Father propelled him to be able to live beyond the confines of his flesh to something more. We are 100% saved by grace. There is nothing we can do to earn our salvation. And this love has been poured abundantly upon us and should flow out of us expressed in how we act, think, and live. 
Because the reality is the truth, the convictions we hold in our lives are intertwined with how we live out our life. What we believe in our very core will express itself through our words, our actions, and how we deal with our possessions. Our actions are the consequence of the truth we hold in our heart. If you believe, really believe, that God loves you, that he saved you, and God wants to be in all aspects of your life, what would that look like for you? When you do look at your own actions, your own words, your own thoughts, what does it say the truth of your life is? For example, okay, if we think, oh, God saved us, woohoo, keep doing what I want to, party on, (laughs) we are abusing grace and we're justifying our fleshly desires. We're sitting here in our old self, happy to still be our highest authority because I'm free to do whatever I want. And it ignores what God had to do on the cross for sin. Conversely, if we're all about the rules, if we're all about having to stick to these strict guidelines and not a toe out of place and I have to earn God's love and I have to earn my salvation and you better not get it wrong because I'm doing the right thing, so you become your own judge and therefore your highest authority. And it's not even about finding a middle ground in between these two. It's about finding the Jesus ground. It's about finding that daily walk with Jesus, learning who God the Father is in the power of the Holy Spirit, doing life with God each and every day, learning more of his love as we are changed and transformed in the renewing of our heart and mind. We who believe in Jesus have a new life because of the love of God. You are loved by God. We don't have to do this to earn the love of God. And in God's love, my heart is continued to be softened and changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if we don't remember that it is through God's love, we can do serious damage to ourselves and especially others in these next few verses. Let's tackle them. Ephesians 5, 3 to 5. But amongst you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. Just as we were getting warm and fuzzy feelings. Yes. The reality is God hates sin. He hates to see how it has damaged, how it has isolated, how it brings disconnection and pain. He hates it so much that he did something wild to save us from it, to give us a new hope and a new life. He came down and died for us. 
Of course then, this God who came down and interacted with us would want to continue interacting with us, to see his children grow in freedom and bringing me out into a life disentangled from sin and past hurts and past fears. In freedom, to see us grow in love and relationship, not only with God, but also with each other. So when Paul writes, there must not even be a hint of, there's two aspects at play. First, as we mentioned before, the Ephesians were in this community that was a polytheistic community where the worship of all these different gods conflicted with the practices of Christianity. Also, the cultural norms conflicted with those who were trying to follow Jesus. So while they're getting all this other information, they're trying to figure out what it looks like to be a Christian, to be a Christ follower. So Paul is making it clear that these practices, these mentalities, these words are not part of who God has called us to be. They are not the family traits and are not something to be incorporated into the worship of God. They are not things to be celebrated, exploited or experimented with. Now, just as an aside, within these passages, there are some big topics. Forgiveness, sexuality, greed. They are worthy of discussion topics on their own. And I encourage you, outside of this space, keep the conversation going. Listen to what God has to say about these things. He does tell us the why behind them. It's not just because he says, don't do this, I'm a fun police. He loves you. There's a reason why. So first, we have clear direction given by Paul to sort out all this confusion. And the second aspect is this desire that we become so in love with God and learn how to love each other well, that these aren't even issues. That the church will grow in maturity where there is room for only God and all other idols, all other fake gods are kicked out. What these verses are not saying you must be perfect to be accepted. It is not saying if you are struggling with sin, different to relishing and enjoying it, you're out. And if we loop back to the start of the verses in 425, we remember we are called to have an honest, open relationship with each other and with God and falsehood will be detrimental to us. So if we pretend we are perfect and everything's going well in our own walk, when we are struggling with any of these topics, we are giving sin power because we are withholding parts from each other and also from God. Yet if we practice confession, talking to each other about what we're struggling with, where we have stumbled, and we learn how to love each other well, we can help each other, be accountable to each other, not let the sin, whatever it may be, have the same grip on our soul as it had when we were hiding it. Together. We are not alone in trying to deal with our struggles. We have our brothers and sisters and we have the Holy Spirit to be our strength. When we are honest with each other, we bring light to what we were hiding. And I know that's scary 
But when you hide something, when you hide something, you're drawing it closer to yourself and you're protecting it and you're giving it strength. Can I tell you, when I have struggled with sin, it has not been my own strength to get over it, but it has been confessing to a sister of the faith, someone who's able to pray with me, bring God's love into the situation and help me through in accountability, love, in the strength of the Holy Spirit. We are saved by grace and we continually can make the choice to love God with our words, with our actions, with our emotions and our thoughts. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love each other as yourselves. So yes, there are some house rules, some family rules, but they're never to be the thing that saves us. That is only Jesus. They are never to be the thing to earn God's love. He already loves you. They are the guidance of a loving father to his beloved children, of a father who wants to see and spend time with his kids and see them grow into exactly who he created them to be, free of sin, free of living with free from living as me as my highest authority, trapped within myself, in freedom and in truth by the power of the Holy Spirit. God's hand is stretched out. Jesus has done all the work. He has demonstrated a great love and he's asking you for, for you to come and let him be part of your life. That you don't have to do this alone. And the offer is there for anyone, anyone who just wants to say yes to Jesus. As Christians, we are one body. We are one family. We are called to live honestly. And today there might have been something that stirred in your heart. There might have been a little nudge of something you've been struggling with. Let's practice doing life together this morning. So while the band sings, I want to invite some people to come over to the corner for prayer. They are anyone who's been living in sin and has only just realised that it was a sin and wants God's help to change that, I invite you to pray. Anyone who's been struggling with a sin, whatever that might be, please let us pray together. And anyone who for the first time has gone, yes, I want to make God my highest authority. Please come and let us pray for you. It's not just about the front. If you're sitting next to someone who's a faithful believer and you want them to be your accountability partner, there's nothing special about me. You can turn to them and ask them to pray with you and for you. It's not about the pulpit. It's about all of us. We're a family. So I'm going to pray. And as we sing, if you do want prayer, we're going to be in this corner or share with the person next to you. First, let us pray. Thank you so much, God, that you are a God who loves his children that wants to see his children live in freedom, unhindered by sin and alive in you, enjoying each and every moment you, we have with you, Lord God. And I pray that you continue to show us 
your love and our hearts might be changed and transformed by that amazing love and that sacrifice that you have already demonstrated to us. Jesus, I pray for all of us as we continue to walk out this faith life that you show us. Show us how it is to live, to love, and that you give us the strength and power to do so. Thank you so much, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray.